are going to read from the Old Testament and then read from the New. And our first is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 9 through 14. How many spent 10 minutes in Deuteronomy this week? Not very many. Yeah, it's not the place you turn to first. But uh, we're going to read about an ancient vision. Are you ready? It is written, The Lord your God will help you succeed in everything you do, in your own fertility, your livestock's offspring, and your land's produce. Everything will be great. Because the Lord will once again enjoy doing good things for you, just as he enjoyed doing them for your ancestors, and because you will be obeying the Lord your God's voice, keeping his commandments and his regulations that are written in the instruction scroll, and because you will have returned to the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your being. This commandment that I'm giving you right now is definitely not too difficult for you. It isn't unreachable. It isn't up in the heavens somewhere so that you have to ask, who will go up for us to heaven and get it for us that we can hear it and do it? Nor is it across the ocean somewhere so that you have to ask, who will cross the ocean for us and get it for us that we can hear it and do it? Not at all. The word is very close to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, waiting for you to do it. And from Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, chapter 1, verses 15 through 28, it is written, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation. Because all things were created by him, both in the heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible, whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He existed before all things and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the one who was first born from among the dead so that he might occupy the first place in everything. Because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him and he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or in the heavens, he brought peace through the blood of his cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies with him in your minds, which has shown was shown by your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you before God as a people who are holy, faultless, and without blame. But you all need to remain well-established and rooted in faith and not shift away from the hope given in the good news that you all heard. This message has been preached throughout all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, became a servant of this good news. Now, I'm happy to be suffering for y'all. I'm completing what is missing from Christ's sufferings with my own body. I'm doing this for the sake of his body, which is the church. I became a servant of the church by God's commission, which was given to me for you in order to complete God's word. I'm completing it with a secret plan that has been hidden for ages and generations, but which has now been revealed to his holy people. God wanted to make the glorious 
riches of this secret plan known among the Gentiles, which is Christ living in you all, the hope of glory. This is what we preach as we warn and teach every person with all wisdom so that we might present each one mature in Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Please pray for me. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the opportunity to just soak in it, to contemplate it, to pray on it, to think about it, to hear what it is you have to say through it. I ask that you speak now, that you speak through me in spite of me. I ask that you help us hear your message in spite of ourselves. And may all that is said and heard be acceptable and pleasing in your sight and in your sight alone. Lord, you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right. So, the moon. You've been watching lots of stuff, reading lots of stuff about the moon recently? Anybody? Anybody see Apollo 11? It's like a brand new film that came out that they're offering. It's got all this unseen footage we watched it, and uh, I was quite amazed. I was quite amazed at the whole journey, not, not to mention that it just looked incredible and like high def, all that footage from 50 years ago, which I don't know how they did that. But what was incredible was at the end of the film, they showed President Kennedy's inaugural speech on the space program and the lofting the vision of the moon into the span of all to see and hear. And I got to imagine a lot of scientists at NASA were like, Really? You gave us to the end of the decade? You couldn't have just left it open-ended? But President Kennedy not only lifted up the vision and the challenge, but started quoting specific facts about how this would happen, including the miles per hour that they would be barreling back into the atmosphere of the earth. And I thought, how did he know eight years prior those exact figures? Somebody wrote his speech and knew what they were talking about. Yes? He gave this vision, and I tell you, I'm amazed at every step of it that it happened and they made it look so easy, knowing that the computer on that rocket ship is about 10% at most of the power that you hold in your palm when you check your text messages. And they went to the moon, and I think those guys were crazy. But what I have come to notice is they casted a vision, and it took the effort of so many to keep the vision in their sight and to work and to give to make it happen. And what an image for us as the church to carry with us about the vision that we are given by God. Now, we're in week two of our series, Living as Disciples. And I know that sounds like a boring title, but we only ever use the word disciple in church, really. We talk about our mission as the United Methodist Church is to make disciples. But what is a disciple? What does that mean for us? How do we live a life of a disciple I think some simple questions. So last week we talked about that it all starts with our foundation. If you're going to build a life of discipleship, it starts on a firm foundation. And our foundation, if you remember, is hope. I know, it seems like a trick question. Jesus seems like it's always the answer, but hope. We are given hope. And we got that hope because Jesus proclaimed that the new age was being birthed through him. The kingdom of God was at hand. And he went to the cross to carry that message. And then we know that everything he said is true because he resurrected. He told us he would. 
And then that resurrection tells us that everything else he said was true as well. That everything that needed to be accomplished has been accomplished on the cross. And now we lie in this in-between period of the death of the old and the birth of the new. And so we need to start that we build on hope. And we build on hope. Am I the church? Are you the church? Or are you the church? No. We are the church. You might have noticed I read with a little Tennessee twang in my scripture reading. Every time the word Y-O-U was used, I said y'all. Now, maybe you'll say that's not Tennessee, that's southern Indiana, and that's fine. But every time Paul writes the word you, it's y'all. Unless he's talking specifically to a person, and that's very clear, I think like 99.9% of the words Y-O-U in the New Testament are y'all. And it reads very differently when you start to read it that way. So he wrote to the church, this church in Colossae that was in a battle, in a battle of understanding what this new faith was. And so last week, we just went over the opening prayers to the letters, the prayers that Paul says for the church. And today we begin with where Paul begins. But before we do, I have three goals for today. One is that we're going to hear this ancient poem that he opens up today's passage with and to understand our reality Two, that we then know our place in this story as disciples. And then three, we understand our purpose and what it means to go and actually live as disciples. You ready? Okay. So Paul is writing to the church he had not visited. And uh, he offers this poem. This poem, they think it was an ancient hymn. Maybe the early church used very early on to establish some truths about Jesus. Because remember, they didn't have the Gospels in Paul's day. They had nothing other than the personal witness that people brought. So we find this ancient hymn which takes these images from back in the Old Testament and weaves them all together to make a claim about Jesus Christ. So we're going to go through this bit by bit. There are three parts to the poem. The first part is verses 15 and 16. Part two is verses 19 through 20. And then the part in the middle ties them together as one way to view this. Are you ready? We're going to walk through this. If you have your Bible, you can open it up or you can see it up here. So here's the first part. Jesus, the Son, is the image of God. Now the word is icon. That's the word in Greek, which is where we get our word icon, which says it's showing us something. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Up until that point, no one knew God fully but yet Jesus brought the fullness of God to stand before us. He is the firstborn of all creation, which means everything belongs to him. Everything belongs to the firstborn. For in him all things were created in the heavens and here on the earth. Okay, so what he's talking about is the old creation. Okay, you know this story. Back in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, how did God create? Breathed and spoke. Yes, breath and word. So Christ is the word. Everything that was created was created through Christ. Everything that was created, Paul says, was created for Christ. Everything we can see and everything we cannot see in heaven and on earth, thrones and lordships, rulers and powers, all things were created both through him and for him, which tells us, Everything has a purpose, and it's all good. Which is what the poem that tells us of creation has to say. It's all good. All right, now part two. 
make sure I got the right part up. Uh, well, and he, here's the part in the middle. This is going to tie it together. I think that's what I have next. And he is ahead prior to all else. And in him, th- in him, all things hold together. He himself is supreme, the head over the body of the church. So now we've talked about old creation. Paul's establishing Jesus because of all this that we know is ahead and prior to everything else and is supreme and he sustains everything. Everything is in and through and by Jesus Christ. Is your head spinning yet? And then he says, he moves into the second part, and he himself is supreme, the head over the body, the church. And then he moves into the the second bulk part of the poem. He says, he is the start of it all. First born from the realms of the dead, so in all things he might be chief. For in him all the fullness of God was glad to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. All things, making peace through the blood of his cross. Yes, the things on earth and the things in heaven. So not only were they created, they were all redeemed through Christ, and they all now are going to be birthed again into this new creation. And the church has something to do with that. So an image of the poem, if you want to see it a different way, we have our next one. So this is the poem again that someone's divided into two parts. And what we have is is an image of everything that's going on. So the image of God is seen in Jesus. And we see that now the body is all the people that actually makes up the body of Christ with Christ as the head. Everything's founded upon the resurrection, which becomes the whole idea of the new temple that God is everywhere and available to all creation everywhere and everyone. This is our image, and I want you to hold this image because we're going to talk about what this means for us. So you may look at that and say, it's a great poem. It's wonderful, and it might take me years to even start to wrap my head around it. It'd probably take me hours to even begin to scratch the surface of it. It's a great image and one worth holding on to. But what does this mean for us? I want you to think of a map up here, okay? I'm going to draw a map. The old, the old creation, the beginning until the cross. And then the birth of something new until one day it's all brought to completion and heaven and earth are one. Okay? You with me on the map? You are here. You are here on the map. We are outside of the grasp of the old, but it's still present. We are within the grasp of the new, but it is still a little distant. You with me? The people of Colossae were struggling through their understanding, and this is why. Because in their world, they were still kind of over here. In their particular area, Colossae, there were two things that people were kind of telling them they needed to be doing with this faith in Jesus. One was to live by the old ways, which you had a God for everything. You wanted a God for sex, there's a God for sex. You want a God for growing crops, there's a God for growing crops. You want a God for money, there's one there. You want a God for getting A's in college, there's a God for that too. And they thought Jesus is just another one of these gods. And Paul's making it clear that's not the case. In fact, he says, all rulers and powers and thrones and authority, they were all made through Jesus. So anything that even is there, It's subject to Jesus. Why would you put your faith in something that doesn't even hold power? Jesus holds power. 
The other thing they were wrestling with, and if you notice the theme in the New Testament, they were wrestling with people saying you need to follow the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to eat kosher. You need to do all the things that's spelled out in the law, and that's what's going to bring you salvation. So the church in Colossae is trying to figure this out. And are we much different? Do you have any gods that you put your faith in? Do you have any perspectives on the world and the globe and different races, different ethnicities that tries to lord over you what reality is? Do you struggle with, well, if I just follow the rules and if other people just follow the rules, that would save them? We do. Paul's trying to show them, you're on this side of the cross and that means a few things. Jesus is the icon of God. It means that up until Jesus, people knew God was there. Even other religions speak to a presence. But it was as if God's in the next room and there's a wall between us we can't see. What Jesus did is if Jesus stood in the doorway that somehow enables us to see God through him. We now see God. We have full reality. We understand who's in charge and who made all and for who and through whom all were made. We see that in Jesus. We can know the truth fully through Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus brings us the very foundation of everything that we are and all the hope that we could ever build our lives upon. So our beginning, Jesus is the presence of heaven in our world. He's fully God and fully human. He took on all the evil and violence that we could throw at him. Because when heaven enters the world, the world does its opposition and conflict, its struggle, because the world in the old way is not open to the new way, which is why we're in the death of one and the birthing of other, and there's, there's birth pangs, as Paul called anyone here given birth? Does it hurt? I'm so glad I didn't. Uh, but yeah, it's painful. Jesus comes and the world says no. We said no, and we threw all the violence and rejection we could at him on the cross. And what was his response? What was his response? Forgiveness, love, grace, submission. Because he knew the cross held no power. The new age or the new creation or the new heaven and earth has begun through the mighty act of Jesus receiving it all as both God and human. And this is our hope. It sprung from this action when he rose from that grave. Now, one day, everything that he said is going to happen is going to happen. It's all going to come. And he says, and this is the mystery, we are part of the story, the church. We are the body of Christ. Another churchy word that maybe we don't talk about or think about enough. We are the body. So if we think about that image of Jesus standing there, we are the body. What happened to Jesus' body? It encountered struggle. We are going to encounter struggle. Amen? I mean, I'm preaching to the choir on that one. Anybody here encountered struggle? Don't even need to see your hands. Our goal, Paul says, is to stay firmly planted, rooted, founded upon our hope, which is really hard because there are a lot of people that are very convincing of other truths. We're very convincing to ourselves, are we not? 
We want to stay in this place where we have hope. And we don't look back and participate in the old. We rather keep dying to the old in ourselves to live into the new that is now present within us. We have both the old and the new to be visible signs of the reconciliation that God brought through Christ, to be visible signs of hope, to be witnesses to the good news of the cross, to tell of the new creation that is already being born in all creation. Paul says all creation knows. So why do we struggle? I think we just struggle to accept it. Or we just find some really good things that come from these other gods in the moment. But does it ever fulfill you? Living a life in the new age within this old age brings that conflict. And we're to press on with love, not exchange blow for blow. That's the old way. We are to press on with love and forgiveness, not needing to prove ourselves in what we say, but we witness and prove our hope by how we engage with and respond. Because we want to win the people that are opposing us, right? It's one of the greatest, most beautiful quotes from Martin Luther King. I didn't write it down, but he basically says, just you throw all your hatred at us you want. We will wear you down with our love, and in the process, we'll win you too. That's the vision God has given us, this new reality We don't overpower or force people. Jesus never did that, neither should we. We don't scare them. That's a wonderful tactic. You scare the hell out of people. You ever seen this tactic? Is it convincing? Does it produce some numbers? Does it produce a life founded on hope? No, it doesn't. We give people a choice because we had a choice. Because Jesus loves us, showed us, and still lets us choose. All of creation began with this vision that God laid out. This vision that's going to take some time to accomplish. This vision that may seem unreachable, but if we all work together and we give ourselves all that we can and depend on the people next to us in this wonderful body of Christ, the church, we can reach the heights we never thought we could. We can follow the lead of Jesus Christ or we can follow the lead of others. We can either trust in faith, which produces love and forgiveness, despite the opposition and suffering, or we can give in and join the ranks. We can either work with the very Lord in our hearts and in our mouths through the word, or we can work against it. The good news is that Jesus Christ works within your heart, your all's heart, through the Holy Spirit to bring y'all back from the dead, to cast off the dead old past, that the new can be birthed forward. You can take that next step toward what you were always meant to be. We have the very presence of the Christ who creates new things and wants good things within you. Now, if you build your life upon something else, what happens on the not firm foundation? It falls, right? But if you build it on the right foundation, it's going to produce fruit. Say it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
So remember, Christ is the head of all things old and new. You all are here and now a part of the story. You all now live into this life with your eyes on the vision, knowing that suffering is going to come through disease, through death, yeah. Through people rejecting you, yep, because we're still in that old. But we fix firm to the hope and we live as witnesses to what we already know is done and we, we live as disciples. And we experience the new creation within us and around us as we continue to grow and be the body of Christ. Amen. Amen.